Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hey everyone, how are you doing? Welcome to this week's episode of the Motherkind Podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. This week, I am super excited to bring you someone that I have wanted on the podcast for a long, 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 long time. Her name is Tara Stiles. She is the founder of Strala, which is a really interesting approach to being, moving and healing. It's a yoga practice and Strala's practiced in more than a hundred countries. There are thousands of guides leading Strala classes all around the globe. I first came across Tara We talk about it at the start of the episode because she is a really renowned Hay House author. I think she's written more than five books with Hay House at this point. And I saw her at a Hay House festival back in 2013 and I loved her energy and her message. And since she became a mum three years ago, I've wanted to talk to her about how she's transitioned. It's really full on well-being brand and business that she runs you know she was flying all over the globe when I met her in 2013 how she's transitioned into life as a mother to now three-year-old Daisy so we start the conversation talking about that how she's managed to slow down I think you'll get from Tara she is full of energy and so I was really curious about how lockdown's been for her We also talked about how saying yes to things doesn't always mean stress and overwhelm. And I was super interested to hear that because, as you'll know, if you listen to the podcast, I'm pretty evangelical about saying no. So that was really interesting for me to hear. We also talk about how a chance meeting with Deepak Chopra, the really, really renowned spiritual teacher, changed everything for her and how she now manages her life and her business as it keeps expanding and getting bigger and bigger. And of course, we talk about yoga with children, which was just great for me to hear because what Tara says is really just keep it fun and let them do what they're going to do. Because sometimes I can get a little bit like, come on, Jesse, into downward dog now. You know, like I'm actually trying to teach her something other than just let her be in the practice. So that also was great for me to hear. I think you're going to love this conversation. If you don't know Tara, I think after this episode, you are going to love her too. Here it is. Tara, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to be chatting to you this afternoon. Thank you so much. Well, I was just saying that I saw you talk in 2013 oh at Hay House Ignite. And I think you were promoting your book. I can't remember the exact title, No Diet Rules. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the problem. <laughs> Make your own rules diet. Yeah, sort of that. Do what feels good for you, sensitize, and then you'll realize the answers that we all inherently know anyway. So, yeah. And life's changed a lot for you since then. You've become a mother. Yeah. Well, you know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Daisy's three now, so almost three and a half. And so life's changed, but, you know, still the same. So just happy to have her. Have you heard of this phrase, matrescence? 
No. Oh, which is like the kind of becoming of a mother, much like adolescence. Okay, um, I love that. Yeah, so I'm okay. curious, like, how did you find becoming a mother? I know you've talked before about some of the challenges of that. What was that experience like for you? Because you were super successful at the top of your game, weren't you? Oh, when you... <laughs> so how was that transition? I guess around the time 2013, it was sort of this... I don't know. I always think of things as sequences and, you know, how to get there before there is there and all this sort of wacky stuff maybe. But, you know, I was, how do you say that again? Matresses? Matrescence. Yeah. I was thinking about matresses, you know, maybe 2011, 2012, 2013. So around that time, Daisy wasn't here yet, obviously, but I was in that full looking for her kind of a a phase. (laughs) So I think my becoming started really then and like the physical process of being pregnant, having her, all of that stuff, you know, I feel like is, is just a continuation of that idea of wanting her a part of my life and to bring her along for the ride. And like you said, 2013 was such a beautiful time for me. I was getting all these opportunities and getting to meet so many amazing people and wanting to share that more and share that, you know, with somebody who wasn't alive yet, I guess, was sort of the idea for me. So I know everybody feels about it completely differently, but I knew everything would change, of course. And I wasn't so worried about, you know, that it would squash my mojo or whatever. It was just more of this, I don't know what's going to happen, but I want her here for this journey. I'm like, I need her to show up. <laughs> so it was sort of, that was the feeling that I had, I guess, when we saw each other. And when she arrived, was it as you expected? Oh gosh, no. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's a whole other story, but I mean, we were still doing all the same things. And I knew that for me, I needed to create a bit more space, just physical space. And I was doing this unsustainable thing that I think a lot of people do when you're allowed to be busy and more opportunities start to happen, which was I was kind of ping-ponging around the world. Like I would fly to London and then fly back to New York the next day and then fly to Dubai and then fly back. And wherever I would have an opportunity to go, I would go without really kind of looking at time more as a bigger thing. And I knew in the process of that, that that was crazy and that was sort of unsustainable. But I also knew that you know, yeah, it's also fun and kind of a once in a lifetime moment to be that spontaneous and, you know, just going for it, especially if she was going to show up, that would have to end in a way. So, you know, I was also kind of thinking about, well, I I know even for my own health, this wouldn't be sustainable. So, and for the planet's health, just thinking about, you know, I'm flying around, I'm acting like a lunatic, I'm talking to somebody for an hour, and then I'm going to a different country. Like, how is that a meaningful conversation, you know? (laughs) So like just checking my own values in a way. So I knew it was sort of this silly moment in my life, but I also knew that even for myself, I wanted to go to some place for you know, a little bit of a longer period of time and then go to the next place. So really creating more moments with each moment instead of just having these be so quick and so pointed in a way. And so how did you find that slowing down that you're describing? Did things come up for you? Did you find that easy? Because I know for me, I found that really hard. Like I had quite a full on busy life and then I kind of found myself sat at home with a baby and all this stuff came up for me that I wasn't really prepared for or didn't really want. Did you experience anything like that? The weird thing is through the year that I was pregnant, it was 
kind of full on still wild, that kind of pointed travel. I mean, I think I was even in Berlin past the point where, I mean, at least the American doctors say, oh, you're not supposed to be flying at that point. And I think they just say that because they don't want you to give birth on the plane. You know, it's more of that's the risk. So I think that was kind of happening. And then even when she was born, you know, I kind of asked my parents who live in Illinois, not close to us as a joke, if they would like to come and travel with us and kind of hang out with her while we're at the trainings while I'm doing stuff. And they said, yes. So I was, I kind of got a little bit more of a leash that way. (laughs) So that was good. So I just kind of kept going in a way. And, you know, around that time, that 2013 time was when I really was starting to, I knew I needed to purposefully not slow down, but just kind of shift how much time I was spending in places to not be so quick about things. So yeah, now, I mean, obviously right now we're not traveling, but it's still kind of busy, 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 but I don't want that also. Like I'm, I'm happy that I have the opportunities to do things and to fulfill things, but I'm also, you know, yeah, I missed out on things and that's kind of a bummer, but it also isn't, I guess, for me. So, you know, I have to, I think similar to you do that work of, okay, I'm sitting at home now with the baby, especially when she was small, you know, my friends are going out. I could be writing another book, but I'm tired. You know, I can't do that right now. So I just have to realize, you know, I have a new book coming out this year at the end of the year and this project with Nat Geo, but you know, it's a three year period for me for no books, which for me was kind of a big pause, I guess, in a way. So yeah, it's definitely different, but I wanted that. So I don't feel like I, have the right to complain about it, even though it kind of sucks too. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like I, I asked for it, you know? <laughs> and have you always been a high achiever? Like I see you as someone who, you know, you have achieved, you know, you just mentioned it's seven books, you know, you have this amazing way to talk about it, Strala, you know, and, and it was just a huge global kind of business now. Have you always been driven person or was it finding your purpose in this kind of inner work that the drive came from? I think both. I mean, I don't know what it was. I mean, my mother and father were always kind of worried about me from the beginning because I was always trying to just go out and do stuff, whatever it was. I mean, even in kindergarten, I was like organizing something. I just had this surplus of energy that I didn't know what to do with. So it was almost kind of told back to me as a problem more than a solution. (laughs) You know, I remember like I did this science experiment where I took two years before the experiment was due in grade school to try to like bury garbage and do these things and learn about the environment. And then I got some big prize at like the stupid state fair, but my teacher said, well, you didn't follow the rules. So, you know, you're getting a C or whatever. So it was always this kind of double edged situation where I was doing things I probably shouldn't have been doing because I had all this energy to do stuff. And, you know, for me, I guess that always came around you know, wanting to learn more, wanting to help people. Because for me, when I help other people, I just, I somehow always knew since I was little that that made me feel good. I mean, my plan from kindergarten was become a nun, move to New York City and be a lawyer by day and a Broadway dancer by night because it kind of checked off all the things I cared about. And my parents told me, well, if you want to live in New York City, it's really expensive. So I thought, well, I'm in Catholic school. I can become a nun and they give you housing for free. And then you can do service for the community, but then I can still dance on Broadway and I can still be a lawyer and do all these cool things. (laughs) You know, I guess 
everybody's obviously so different, but you know, I've got like my whole life is those kind of weird moments where I would do things like I worked at Pizza Hut and the manager would freak out and I was like 16 years old. So I would come early and fold all the boxes so he would be happy and his happiness made me less stressed out. You know, <laughs> So I would just figure out all these things to do to, I guess, use up my energy in a way, but also, you know, if they helped people feel better or had the promise of that, then it made me feel even better. So yeah, I guess I've kind of always been I don't know if it's driven. I mean, yeah, my family says, I don't know what's wrong with her. She'll never stop. She'll never slow down. She's never going to just give up, I guess. But I guess for me, it feels good to exercise myself in this way. And, you know, it can be a book. It can be a yoga training. It can be Strala. It can be, you know, lots of different things. But I mean, there's something deep inside of me that needs to do these things, however they look. Otherwise, I just don't feel right. I don't feel good in a way. So there's definitely something odd or maybe we're all like that. (laughs) You know, I love reading biographies and looking at people. And, you know, I see a lot of people that that say similar things. And so I think it's got to be something kind of more universal than something I need to get checked out by from the doctor. (laughs) And so do you feel successful? No. <laughs> I mean, I don't know you what that don't feel means. successful. What does it mean to you? What does success mean I don't know. to you? You know, I think living in New York, it's warped because I have a lot of friends that are also successful or in different variations of that. But to me, there's no end. There is no like, okay, once you have a nice house, that's successful. Or once you have this global community, that's successful. I don't really know if that's true for me, if that checks off any of those boxes. So I feel like it's an ongoing process for me of, you know, it gets easier. And I I don't even think there's like this point of, oh, it gets easier once I hit this point and then things started happening better. Because I feel like even when not too many people knew who I was, certain people would show up in my life and bring me to that next place. And I feel like that was successful because I was living in, like you said better than I could say, taking all of this sort of excess energy and then putting it into this form of purpose and helping people feel better through yoga and meditation and, you know, my specific experience on that and sharing that, you know, whenever I'm doing that really well, I feel like that's almost the process of being successful because other people have instantly showed up and said, okay, that's great. Let me help you. Let's do a project together. I mean, I met Deepak Chopra when nobody knew about me. I was doing some silly YouTube videos, I met him at this little event. I was like paid $50 to lead a yoga class, you know, like nothing very big time at all. And he came up to me and said, I really like what you're doing. Let's do this app together. This producer is going to call you tomorrow and we'll get together and do it. And then we did it. And he said, I really like how you're sharing yoga. It's non-dogmatic. Would you come over and lead yoga with me and my wife, Rita? And then, you know, from there, as I got to know him, he just kept opening those doors for me. And he's like a family member to me in that way, but more and more people like that have kind of shown up out of nowhere and I don't deserve it. I'm not like, I don't have any famous family members. I don't come from, you know, any financial line of money or anything like that. I believe it's living in that space where you're doing the thing that you're doing with your energy. And then the people that are sort of meant to show up have just been there and continue to be there, you know, and whether they're a famous person lifting me up or me getting to lift somebody else up now, which is really cool. You know, it just feels so easy too. And now I understand because I remember always thanking Deepak profusely, like, you're so kind, you're so generous. Thank you so much. And he's like, 
stop. This is easy. It's no skin off my back. I mean, he didn't say it like that, but he just said, you know, this is a normal way to be. So I understand that now if somebody comes to me and, you know, wants to meet somebody that I know, and I can tell that their energy, that it's an easy thing to do to just connect people together. You know, it doesn't take anything away from anybody else. So I get it now, but I think for me, that's ultimately that success. I mean, it's, I'm happy that what I do, you know, allows me to live and eat and support my family and all of that. And I think that sustainability is ultimately, you know, the goal for me. And that kind of state that you're talking about, I know it as well, where you're kind of in ease and flow. How do you get yourself back there when you step outside that state? Because I know for me, like when things start to feel hard or I'm like angry or I'm like, why are they not replying? I've kind of stepped off that. How do you get yourself back into that kind of beautiful place as you're describing? Well, I think I kind of hit the jackpot with what I share with others is the process that I need to be in also. So it's sort of like, I'm not trying to teach like science or astrophysics or, you know, astrology or this or that. It's sort of like the process of what I share is the process that works, works for me, works for people that I share it to that I don't think everything's for everybody, but slowing down is for everybody. (laughs) So, you know, for me, it's sort of that getting on the ground every single day, doing a practice. And it's not about yoga. It's not about meditation, but it's about using those things as a form to connect with myself. So I guess I've always just been a physical person. And, you know, it's not like, oh, I do a handstand and I feel better. Like that has really nothing to do with any of that at all. It's just getting on the floor, slowing down, and then everything else starts to progress from there. So I take a few moments and start to breathe and my breath moves me instead of me thinking that I'm controlling the world from my mind or my brain, which is, you know, I think understanding too that it's not just, oh, I do it on Tuesdays and then the rest of the week I'm good, you know? So it's sort of like realizing in the process of also sharing that when you do the practice of slowing down, moving with your breath, connecting with yourself, you feel better. And the more you feel better, the more ideas you have, the more access to your energy you have. Like I know the results. I know how good it's going to be for myself. And also when I share that, I'm excited to see what comes out of everybody else because it's so unique and individual. It's just, here's the process, here's the software, and then boom, you're sort of off and you know, your own individualness just radiates and is great. For me, I just feel like I hit the jackpot because my practice is that process that helps me. It's the one-stop thing, really. (laughs) I feel the same. I mean, these conversations, I'm like, oh yeah, I know. You know, it's like remembering it every time I have these beautiful conversations. I feel so lucky to be doing this. I feel the same as you. When you're kind of connected to you, how does that show up in your parenting of Daisy? Oh, it's everything. I mean, you know, kids are they're just completely translucent or transparent. I mean, you can't tell a lie to a kid, you know, even when she was super tiny baby, you know, they know if your shoulder is stiff or you're stressed or if you're putting them down in a way. And, you know, I remember realizing that, you know, all my fears of, okay, I have to keep this tiny baby alive. I'm going to stress out about this. I can let go of that and put her down in a way that's more at ease and coordinated in my own movements. And if I'm breathing it's going to help her feel better. And all of those things that I know, but yeah, it took a long time for me to realize that, especially after she was born and just the complete new world that I thought I would knew, but was completely a different experience. I think for everybody, I think that's got to be a universal feeling. (laughs) And are you the mother that you thought you'd be? 
I think so. You know, I always loved talking to kids like people. I just thought that was so cool. And I loved when I was a kid. I remember when adults would connect with me as a person, like as not as a you know little child that doesn't know anything. I thought that that was the coolest thing in the whole world. So it's sort of like, you know, and still, I think my tendency with Daisy is to get too nervous about, oh, is she, I got to do all these things and whatever. And then kind of just realize that I am doing all the good things as much as I can, you know, we all do the best we can. And then just to simply communicate to her as the spirit she is and not kind of control her in that way. I'm curious to know, you know, before you became a mother, you know, I saw you speak and I read your books and you struck me as someone who really knew yourself, particularly some of the experiences that you'd been through and you were so open about. What have you learned about yourself from becoming a mother? Was there more to learn, more to be revealed? Oh gosh, I think so much every moment. I don't even know how to answer that because I think, you know, it changes so quickly that I don't know if I have the ability to be honest that, oh, I'm learning X, Y, and Z today because I feel like in the first year of her life, just to compartmentalize a little bit, I thought I was so relaxed and so chill and so at ease. And then as soon as she was there, I became rigid and I would check myself, but my first habit would be rigid. You know, I, we bought so much crap. I mean, it was ridiculous, all the stuff that we had and all the stuff that I was like asking family to send over hand-me-downs and we had this like ridiculous thing for her to sleep in that like she hated and all this stuff. So, you know, I've learned that even though I know about ease and moving in harmony, all this stuff that I'm the first one that needs to continue to practice that because I went to the rigid places, even though I could, I knew quickly and I could come back, but every time I would go there, you know, with all of that. (laughs) So good. I think people just really love, I love it hearing, you know, people like you, you know, who have lived this kind of life and you have this technology, as you say, with the yoga that you teach, it's just so grounding to me hearing that you too go to that kind of fearful place and that rigid place and that stress place. It's really helpful. Oh, I think everybody does. And, you know, not to be like everybody, whatever, but I think it's a human thing, you know, and That's why there's these practices, like you say, you know, with your conversations helps you feel connected. I don't think yoga is the only way. I think it's an amazing way. You know, it's, I hear people talk about gardening and they're talking about yoga, but they're talking about plants. I'm like, oh, it's the same thing. So I think everybody understands somewhere along the line that it's a continuous practice to come back. You know, it's like, I love how really good meditation teachers say that they say meditation is about quieting your mind and seeing a blue lake. It's about seeing your mind think about lunch and then deciding to come back and then seeing it think about dinner and then deciding to come back. And it's that deciding and kind of walking yourself back. And that's the magic right there is is actually just crossing the street. So I think that's what it is and what I've heard so many people that seem to have figured out a process figure out. It's not that their life is perfect. It's that they know to keep coming back. And I wanted to ask you about something that you wrote about on your newsletter, maybe this one or the last one, I can't remember. I read them all, by the way. Um, Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. (laughs) Was you talked about how you used to kind of think that the way to maintain your energy was almost by saying no and protecting it. And then since lockdown, Mm -hmm. you've kind of said that you had this new realization that 
it's actually in the yes that you are getting more energy. And I was so fascinated by that because I'm someone, I'm pretty obsessed with boundaries and time boundaries. And I get quite fearful actually about protecting my time. And so I'm super curious to learn about that from you and what you meant by saying yes to more things has given you energy. Yeah, I mean... You know, there was like, I don't know, there are many, I think, books like the movies, that famous Jim Carrey movie was about that yes year. (laughs) So it's like, again, not a new concept, but I think similar to you, my tendency is the same. You know, it's you're so busy with these conversations and, you know, your life. And I think everybody is so busy, but that sort of idea of just protecting, protecting and protecting you know, I think about everything in terms of movement and I try to get confirmation from, you know, things I'll read about science or, you know, something I'll hear about astrophysics, not that I understand anything, but I'll like read a little bit and think, oh, ebb and flow or like going out and coming in and that balance there. So I kind of try to look for those little clues. And I mean, you know, my habit is to be busy, 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 but then kind of shut down inside of that. I know that that's maybe a reason why I would get more tired when I'm ping-ponging around the world instead of just, you know, not being reckless, but having this real balance of opening up to people and relaxing sort of at the same time. So it's not that for me that I need to, you know, go see a friend and then go home for the next day. It's sort of, I can see the friend or do the job or write the book and also relax in the process of doing that. So I'm replenishing myself while I'm also being open to other people besides myself sort of in the moment of that. So it's sort of, that's been a huge, just learning. I mean, just even looking out on my balcony, like our grass, it's like noticing that they don't freak out when the breeze comes, they just kind of move a little bit and then they come back. You know, <laughs> So it's not like, you know, Oh my gosh, like I have to do all this stuff today. It's like, yeah, every day there's stuff to do, but in the doing of the stuff, I can also relax. I don't have to, freak out about myself or go into any weird mental spirals about perfection or, you know, having everything look a certain way or be a certain way. I can keep moving forward and also relax while I'm doing those things. And I think that's kind of really saved me and allowed me to participate in life in a kind of big way and not kind of wait for the perfect moment to do everything or wait for the perfect moment that I think it is, which isn't reality anyway, you know? So (laughs) this is kind of, for me, giving up this idea of there is a perfect thing to do at a perfect time and just doing the things that feel right to do and doing the things that I need to do for my schedule and life and all these things and also relaxing as much as possible while I'm doing them. And that's led to, for lack of a better word, just joy. Like it's fun to talk to you. I don't feel like you know, of course, I wouldn't feel like this is a headache, but it's like, you know, you do other things in your day, you'd be like, oh, I have to go do that thing again. But, you know, if you're really choosing to do that thing, like I'm doing this silly yoga class every day on Instagram, you're going to 100 days and like, yeah, but I can enjoy myself in the yoga and I can be with these people and it actually feels good to connect. I don't feel like I'm performing or I'm just moving externally. It's actually replenishing and relaxing in the process. And I get to energize from the feedback I'm getting from someone else. So it's a rewarding way to kind of shift my own mindset a bit. I love it. Cause you know, I can go to that kind of rigid boundaries place. I mean, in some way I still have to do that cause I'm quite introverted. So being around people mm-hmm. does drain me and I kind of have to know that about myself and then yeah. take responsibility for filling that back up normally on my own away from my children. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so interesting <laughs> for me to hear that and And I think I'm going to really reflect on that. What's your experience of lockdown been? 
you know, you, you talked about kind of maybe having this extroverted energy and needing to connect. Have you felt that you've still been able to get that connection through kind of, I guess, screens? I think, you know, we've all kind of similarly went through all these stages, you know, it's sort of like, I'm sure somebody will write a book on it at some point, like the 11 steps of lockdown, you know, sort of in the beginning. I mean, we thought here in New York, it would be two weeks, you know, sort of this kind of staycation where we would, you know, stay at home and blow bubbles and draw crayons and kind of get involved with a million activities and then it'll be over and we'll just go back to preschool and life and everything like that. So I think in the beginning for, for me, there was definitely this kind of found time of, oh, wow, like I can actually look around and instead of just going about doing the things, I can step back a little bit and there's sort of more to do. There's more things that are possible than I thought possible. You know, so on our balcony, we've never done this before, but we put up, Mike has this tent from camping and I'm like, why don't you put up your tent? That'll be so fun. You know? <laughs> He's like, we can put up a tent on the balcony. So I thought, yeah, why not? So we just never thought that was possible before. So that was, you know, really fun. You know, for me, I think of it as a balance or like a yin yang of in-person and digital in-person and digital experience just with my life in general, since digital became a part of it, I guess, and for me in like 2008 with YouTube and kind of all that stuff. But, you know, my goal originally with the internet, with YouTube was to, you know, I had no idea what was going to happen, first of all, just to be honest. But then like when people started watching my videos, I thought, oh, those are actual people. I want to go and meet them someday. So it was sort of like, there's people inside the computer, <laughs> you know, like that Zoolander, the files are in the computer. So for me, it wasn't about YouTube as a goal. You know, I know now like YouTube is a business and people do it for their career and all that kind of stuff. But for me, it was always a tool to, to get to the people, to connect with people in that way. So yeah, I do really miss that in-person you know, touching people, seeing strangers, but just even going for walks in our neighborhood. I think because everybody is so forced to be inside, people are a lot more present in their bodies. You know, when they're outside for the 10 minutes or an hour, whatever it is a day, you know, people will say hi from across the street. And, you know, we've waved at our neighbors so many times from our balcony and got to know each other. So I think there's this real, like, kind of honest reckoning in a way that, you know, instead of walking around in our phones, being busy going to this restaurant, going to this meeting or whatever it is, you're just, you're literally just walking around to get fresh air, you know, outside, there's nowhere to go. You know? so it's this real kind of free time moment of just pick your head up and look around and see what's going on. And how's Daisy found it? A lot of three-year-olds I know have really struggled. How she found it? I don't know if she struggled. I mean, there's a few times where she's had her meltdowns, certainly normal three-year-old meltdowns where I've gotten her to actually express that she misses a person or she just wants to go to Ellie's house, her friend, or she just wants to see Sam. And, you know, I know that that part has been tough, obviously, and there's no way to like say that it's not, but also, I mean, this sounds terrible, but we've been spending better time with her than we were before. You know, before it was sort of, oh, we got to get this thing done. She's got to go to this play date. She's got to go to school, whatever it is. Let's do all these things. So we spend a lot of time with her normally, but there's more kind of real time being spent now. I would say better quality time being spent now, but it's weird. I think, you know, she understands. Actually, she said in the beginning... We were walking around in the stroller because we didn't want to let her out in the very beginning when everybody was really hyper about not touching things and things like that. She said the virus needs to go home. <laughs> and I thought that was really cool because, you know, it's sort of like 
we all need to stay home. And she said, well, the virus needs to go home and then we can all go back to the park and things like that. So, you know, I think it's good and bad for her individually. I, I don't know too much about the general mental health of everybody's child, but yeah, I think it's been good and bad. A lot of people that I'm speaking to are kind of reflecting now as we're in the UK, we're easing up on lockdown a bit and people are thinking mm-hmm. about how the experience might change how they live going forward have you had any kind of reflections about that about how this kind of forced slowing down might change how you are in the future well I think for us you know it's kind of kick-started in a way where we were planning to go this time has actually forced us to get our act together with our app and our digital things. We've had all this stuff for the last three years, but we've been so late on doing the app and, you know, live streaming classes because we've been so busy with people in person. So this time is actually in a way accelerated where we were going anyway. So it's been interesting. It's, I don't think it's good or bad. It just, everything slowed down, but everything sped up really fast too for us. Yeah. I've heard someone say that that it's kind of like we got pushed forward 10 years, yeah. like two months, you know, in terms of how much has gone online. And it's like, it's, I think it's going to take me a while to process it all, actually. I think I'm, you know, like really what happened and it's been a fascinating time, hasn't it? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I know for yoga, it's like, you know, there's so many different kinds of people. Some people love in person, some instructors they're very, they thrive in their local communities. So this has been a huge challenge and then they figure it out and then they love it, you know, or then they figure it out and then they hate it. So I have friends just in New York that, you know, have never been online and they all of a sudden go on zoom and then they're like, Oh my gosh, somebody in India found out about my class. And I usually teach these five people in my neighborhood. (laughs) So I'm like, yes, I've been saying this since 2008, you guys, there are people inside the computer, (laughs) real people that, you know, want to meet you and want to experience with you. So, you know, I don't think online is the answer for every moment in our life, but it's definitely a great tool for now. Although it's not fun. I mean, I have friends that have regular jobs that are on, they're on these Zoom meetings all day long. I mean, I can't think of anything worse to be doing right now. It just seems horrible. And to to not be able to just sit across from somebody and have a conversation about whatever it is and see their body language and go out and go for a walk with somebody and really talk about it, stuff like that. So, so yeah, I don't, I don't have any sort of feelings of this is amazing, but I think it's sort of like we're dealing with what we can. And, but I do think that, you know, the manicness can start to slow down a little bit. As you said, you guys are kind of easing up. And I mean, I have friends that are Strala instructors and they, they're starting to lead classes sort of outdoors. And in some places they can, you know, social distance and go back. So we have the silly tagline that's just so funny for right now that online is great in person is magic (laughs) sort of ridiculous to say that right now because it's just completely true we all miss people and it's irreplaceable but it's great that we have this too I'm the same you know I'm spending a lot more time in front of my screen than I ever would and you know I think that's a really universal experience of people that are kind of working right now. So when the you know the day ends and the Zoom calls are finished, how could someone use kind of family yoga? And I know you've done this incredible new book with National Geographic Kids. How could someone kind of get together with their kids and what's something really simple that they could do, even if maybe they've never done yoga before or maybe their kids have never done yoga before, just to kind of reconnect back to our bodies, to ourselves, to our families, to being away from the screen at the end of the day. It's so fun with kids because you can't have a plan. You can sort of have 
a guideline. And I think, you know, the more that I experienced that with Daisy, the more I realized that that's true for adult classes as well. <laughs> sort of like you can have a plan, but you're not going to use that plan. You're going to use your experience and sort of, you know, roll it out a little bit. So I know with her, you know, just knowing a few different things to do and she's made up her own things. Like there's this thing she calls the flamingo where it's like a tree pose, but she holds hands. And she actually came up with the idea of holding hands together because she was wobbling. And she said, you know, mama, hold my hand. The bow pose where you just sit down, you stick your legs up and you can hold each other's hands like that. She does that with me. And then she made up this thing where our legs are up and she's like, now put them down, now put them up, now put them down. (laughs) She likes to be in charge of saying, you know, when you do the thing. So, you know, yoga is great because you can do these few simple moves and kind of have a plan, have a little bit of idea, share them. And then hopefully the little one just feels empowered to do it in their own way and express themselves. And you guys can kind of invent it from there. And I think, you know, the Yoga Animals book is cool because you see the animals and there's pictures of little kids that are really great too, but it's really about the animals doing something. And then it's such a beautiful picture. And then the kid, you know, Daisy just stands up. She's, oh, giraffe, I'm going to do that thing. And there's instruction and all of that. And it's beautiful, but it's more about that sort of instantaneous reaction of looking at the animal and then just doing the same thing. So there's a gorilla pose and it's sort of the gorilla up and over their legs, like a standing forward bend, but there's also a picture of a gorilla banging its chest. So she looks at that and she does the banging the chest thing. And then she does the forward bend, which, you know, it's not how the book says, but it's sort of, that's what they do. So (laughs) sort of, yeah, yoga is a great way to not just have another activity that you do with the family, but something where you're all coming up with it together and inventing it together. And especially if you can do it in a way where it's not about being good at yoga, but it's about exploring and have fun in yourself. One of the reasons I share yoga is to kind of erase the misconceptions a little bit of, oh, you have to touch your toes here. This pose has to look like that little kid. Or, you know, that's kind of a nightmare that we're all in that stage or those misconceptions exist because the poses can sometimes look really difficult if you're not doing it the same way. And that defeats the whole point of doing it at all is trying to look like somebody else, but it's more about enjoying and feeling like yourself and feeling more confident. So yeah, the family thing can be really beneficial for so many reasons. What I love about it and um, particularly the book, you know, it's really playful. And like you say, it's not a kind of set of instructions, which would never work with it with kids. It's kind of just, <laughs> no just some ways in, you know, it took me what, like 30 however many years to learn to listen to my body and I feel like when I do yoga with Jesse you know it's like you're describing it's kind of haphazard and you know but really what I want to do is you know I say her like what do you think your body needs mm. it's like a kind of intro I love that. and you know she might look at me blank faced but some days she mm. might say oh I just kind of want to roll around or you know and I feel like that is just what a gift to be able to give her if I can you know that ability to listen to her body at that age that you know I've ignored my body and I know you have quite similar story you know I ignored my body for most of my life you know and I'm making up to her yeah it's so good oh they're going to be so far ahead (laughs) it's amazing to see what they'll do you know not that we have any control over our children but if you Mm -hmm. could model some things to Daisy what would you want to kind of model to her about what life is about it just happens, I think. And it's so cool because I always share this in our trainings and, you know, when people get together to learn how to teach yoga, it's like, yeah, you're going to learn how to teach yoga. But really what people are learning from you is how you feel about yourself. 
And we can also practice that while we're learning how to teach yoga and all of the sequencing, all the movements and whatever important, but also that's what they're getting. So, you know, kind of the age old thing of it doesn't matter what you say, it matters what you do and what you say has to back up what you're doing for anything to make sense at all. So I think just because I have this worldview that, you know, you can kind of open up to people and see what happens. And it doesn't mean in a reckless way, like invite everybody over to your house and, you know, sort of have reckless boundaries and those kinds of things. But, you know, I notice when we travel and when we, you know, have gone to the parks and just see other kids and other people in general, because I like to do that, it sets up this environment also where it's easier to be in. You know, it's sort of like we'll go to a park and, we'll just put ourselves in the middle of the environment, you know, and just kind of play around. And if there's somebody to talk to, we'll, we'll make a point to talking to them instead of making a point to play with ourselves. I mean, not really so much right now with the virus and quarantine and all of that, obviously, but still even we'll wave and say hello. And that's just honestly fun for me. Like, I don't want to be isolated. I don't feel good when I don't talk to people. I want to talk to the guy at the coffee shop and the person at the hotel and all that stuff. I feel better when I have real conversations with people and they're not just transactional about the the thing that I'm buying or whatever it is. And I find that way also has just helped in so many areas of my life. Like one person may eventually end up helping me for something, you know, or I may help them. And it's sort of like a great fun way for me to live. And I've just noticed that she's adopted that, especially with homeless people. So we walk by, you know, often in New York City, homeless people, and we always carry like extra cliff bars and apples and just stuff like that, that we have for her snacks. And if we see somebody who we think is homeless, and we feel like it's okay, like we'll say hi. And if it's kind of going all right, we'll ask if they want some food or whatever. So we were rolling by a guy the other day, And I think because of the current situation, like a lot of people are acting strange on the street and aren't necessarily homeless. Like, there was a guy sitting there and he might have been doing yoga. He might have been praying. I'm not quite sure, but I didn't think that he was homeless, although he was kind of tucked away in a corner and he had a little bit of camp set up, you know, but I, I kind of got the feeling he was all right. So we walked by and then Daisy turned and looked to me and she said, why didn't we give him any food? <laughs> and, you know, my biggest fear with giving somebody food who isn't homeless is just, you know, they could just be a person who didn't need it. (laughs) So I said, well, you know, that's a good question, but I wasn't quite sure that he needed the food from us. He seemed like he was healthy and taking good care of himself. But if she can have that and I can continue to get better at that, you know, like she just checked me. She said, why didn't we give him something? And I could have asked. It was only my embarrassment that I didn't ask. You know, he could have said, oh, I'm doing yoga or I'm praying or just leave me alone, crazy lady. You know, he could have sent us on our way, but my fear was in, oh, I don't want to do the wrong thing. So I'm just going to walk by. And she kind of called me out on that in her own way, which, you know, I think that's at least my understanding of everything I've learned so far of how the world works of just being together in that way. So I I hope that she can continue to teach me that. I love that when they kind of mirror back the way that you want to be to you. Jesse does that all the time to me. <laughs> it's so interesting. It's so interesting. I love it. Um, and I always ask the same question at the end of every interview, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that gift be and why? Oh my goodness. It's such a big, a big thing. But um, I think that remembering that the navigational system is inside and that your magic is inside. And, you know, when you feel lost or fearful or scared, you can know what to do. You can remember what to do. If you slow down, maybe get on the floor, connect with yourself, 
and your navigation will restart, will reset itself. And ultimately it's remembering that, you know, you're okay and you can do the things that you're doing. You're able to live your life really well and to keep connecting to that internal magic. Beautiful. Thank you so much. It's been such a joy to connect with you. You've been on my dream list of guests for a while. So oh my gosh, you're I'm kidding. That's so sweet. super honored. I'm super honored. Oh Thank goodness. you so much. So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about, then just tag them in on Instagram. My bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there. People often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends. So if that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my program, which is a three-month program called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.